Hey everybody, my name is Alex and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. Thanks everyone who's been listening to the episodes lately, like I said before. <laughs> I've gotten a lot more episodes lately. I think that has something to do with us all being stuck in our houses still, um, at least in America. But thanks to everybody who listened to the aging out of an IP. That was a really interesting um, concept that I... If I'm honest, I don't think about all that much, but when it hits me, it really hits me because I become super aware of, like, this is no longer for me. But if you want to hear more about that, go ahead and listen to the last episode, the last Sunday edition, called Sunday Lunchbox Radio Sunday Edition, Aging Out of an IP. This episode is going to be about a show that I probably... Should have talked about sooner, but we'll get to that, and that show is The Great Pretender. Now, if you know anything, if you know enough about me personally, you might know that one of my favorite genres of movie are heist films. And in particular, one of my favorite trilogies of all times, I have it sitting on my DVD shelf, or it used to be sitting on my DVD shelf before my DVD shelf collapsed in on itself the other day when I was setting up my new fancy 3D printer and it became a nightmare. Um... My favorite trilogy is the Oceans movies, and if you don't know what the Ocean, what Oceans eleven, twelve, and thirteen are, um, it's the Oceans movies are this are a re, and Oceans eight came out most recently, but the Oceans eleven universe is revised from an old sixties, an old set of um sixties films by the same names up until I believe um thirteen and then eight, which is the all female cast one. And 
they're really excellently acted con man films. So the reason that I wanted to talk about the, the reason I started watching The Great Pretender was interested in it was because it was supposed to be an anime explicitly about con men. And then I watched the first episode or the first yeah, the first episode or the first three episodes rather. And I I kind of I kind of dropped off of it because it it didn't have the right feel I look for in a con man story. The, so, and this has to do with the cast, and some, and some and that certainly persists throughout the show. But the, it's a different thing than Ocean's Eleven and Ocean Twelve, and certainly Ocean's Thirteen or Eight. And by going in expecting that kind of feel, I was of course going to be disappointed because it's a like. This is a weird inside Hollywood thing, but the reason that the Oceans movies stopped being made until they made Oceans 8 a couple years ago, or last year, whenever that came out, time is irrelevant, we fucked that up too, um, is that Bernie Mac died. They were, like, all going, they were going for these movies. It, people liked and disliked certain certain individual Oceans movies, like some people's Favorite, some people only like 11, some people like 11 and 13, some odd people like 11, 13, 11, 12, and 13, but most people do not like 12, because 12 is odd, but anyway, it was this, it was one of the more successful ensemble cast franchises ever, and they built it on putting all of these cast members together kind of in a space and letting them play off each other constantly. And it's this unique, almost extended family style of on-screen chemistry that is really impressive. And just because of the function of the size of the, of the main cast of The Great Pretender, I was a little put off and slightly, like, slightly not there for it. And I kind of put it off for a while. And then, and then um, Ben at the Sage, who I recently became a Patreon subscriber to, um, talked about that show on his old Taku New Tricks. And he said, basically, this is a fantastic show that is not for me. <laughs> and the more he talked about it, the more he talked about the fact that you know, to him, con man stories are just not, just they just don't do it for him because he's interested in the honesty of characters on screen and with con men, that's very difficult to get to. And while I'm interested in that a lot of times too, I think that a good, con, that a good ensemble con man story and Ocean's, the Ocean's movies definitely do this. Let you read into the characters beyond the so like let's say in Ocean's Eleven, um, George Clooney's character Danny Danny Ocean is 
clearly keeping everybody at some kind is clearly keeping you the viewer at a distance like he is behind a wall but what's also true is all the other characters are behind that wall with him and it's a flexiglass wall so you can hear through it and you can see through it but you can't like you can't get close to him and it's slightly hazy so you can infer tons of things from just watching the character of Danny Ocean go through that movie and go through life. And that is true for all of the movies. Um, including, by the way, Ocean's 8. Ocean's 8 really does, really brings that wall down the most um, and lets you into the character's lives the most. But it's But even then, it's just barely. And so you use a bunch of context clues and inference and what you know about just life and the idea of the stereotype of the kind of people who are in the con man game to understand these characters in a way that normally wouldn't be possible with the way that many con men are portrayed in media. And why it's not done while it's not done at while it's not done as elegantly in The Great Pretender, it's still done very well. And part of the reason that I don't So The Great Pretender is first and foremost a anime and a but it but secondarily it's a story about con about like long cons and con men in general. And what I mean by that is where in a typical con man story, and I mean like um, the Oceans movies, I mentioned those before, um, The Italian Job is another one. You have this mixing of all the character stories. The, the Italian Job does it the most when they introduce a character, when they go round robin with the characters, they introduce them, and you see their, like, backstories and all this other stuff. And all that mixes together. Anime, many, many, anim- many shows seem determined to give you an arc cycle so you, so you can have your favorite arc. So, um, the first, and also the difference between this show the real perspective difference between this show and a, a series of movies like the Oceans movies is you're follow is you're not following the master con con man conf, or confidence man you're following the like young upstart so in um the Ocean's movies, the young upstart is Matt Damon's character. Matt Damon is this, like, kid they pick up because they used to work with his dad, and now he's the person who's available. And you see all the rough edges with him, and you see that he's not... The the most you see the rough edges are in, um, <laughs> hilariously, um... What's it called? You see the rough edges in Ocean's Thirteen when he like plays a whole 
part sec- section plays out a whole section of their plan to like defraud this um asshole casino magnate um of billions of dollars and his like pro like pri- the entirety of his trophy case um because they double he, he double crossed somebody that they care about um and there are rules um and he knows there are rules and he broke them um i really do fucking love the oceans movies i should well i haven't watched them in a while i should totally watch them again um but this show you're following the like equivalent of the matt damon character in those in those movies if you've seen those movies you're like oh okay and what that means is you're following somebody who isn't who isn't completely who isn't completely capable of the stuff they're trying to pull off but still can do a very confident job at conning you know like your standard person but for longer cons he needs like a support system behind him and that support system ends up being this team led by um led by a french confident man confidence man named or con man i should just say confidence man it's um awfully complicated but uh called called Laurent or named Laurent named Laurent Trini actually and so the first the first arc is devoted to Edamora who they promptly call Edamame like they do not give a shit they're just like you're Edamame now oh well and it's this you're introduced to Edamora as, like, he's pulling this, like, small con on lots of people to, like, get just, like, small bits of money out of them that he can amass into his own, like, big stash. And you're taken through, you're taken through his life slower than a lot of the, um, character, but you're giving glimpses into his life. And this and his arc of j- kind of just settling for being a confidence man and st- like being true to himself and chasing his dream of being the world's best confidence man or con artist instead of like trying to constantly shape up his life because the one of the things this one of the things that the great pretender does really well is it shows how un how unsuited people who are con men or con women are to just a straight day's work, just honest work, because their brains have like transformed into this thing that is all about working the system and working the and working the environment and social norms to their complete advantage. I as a disabled person, I do some of this. If I like want to know it's safe to cross the street, I will walk a little slower and let other people start crossing the street and cross in a crowd instead of by myself. Um, a couple of my friends when I was in high school, when I was in a high school like art, gifted artist, gifted arts program thing over the summer, like noticed like. 
you game this entire system. You never have to watch if you're crossing the street. Like, just about everything you do is done by somebody else first, therefore proving it's okay. I'm like, yeah, I, I just use... I use the world working to my advantage to make it easier for me. That's all I'm doing. It's not malicious, I promise. But, Edamora repeatedly tries to leave the, like, confident con man, con artist life behind. And it keeps getting dragged back because um, Laurent, specifically because Laurent keeps playing him. But also... Because he's just not well adjusted for 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 an honest day's work, and some people just are that way. Some people they thrive by being like they thrive in the gray area of the law and of life, and the the. The show does a pretty good job of portraying that. It, it, and the other important way that it portrays that is all of the characters in this are much younger than they often are in con man stories. Like in the Oceans films, you know, it's like those characters are older characters. They're like the youngest one is in like his 30s. And once you and once you've conned people for a long time, and once it stops, it's no matter how big a job it is, it stops being super sexy all the time. It starts to be like a real job. Like this is what I do for a living. I you know get a casino owner super drunk and get him to take out his checkbook and sign over like a, a not so much money that he'll notice it, but enough money where. I won't have to work for the next year. And the other angle to this is this is um, the great pretender if I had to make an exact um, comparison to an Ocean's movie. The great pretender is the Ocean's 13 of like the Ocean's movies in con man miso speak basically. Because Team Confidence does not con honest people. It does not con honest people out of their honest day's work. They specifically target bad actors. So the first target you have is, and there's three arcs to the episodes that are out now. This is almost certainly getting a second season because it's a Netflix show and that's how Netflix rolls. First season get you signed up, second season to keep you there, and then they don't care about what you watch. Um but um the first person they and they do a good job of picking modern the like mag like crooked assholes from the modern selection, so to speak. Um, so the first person that they con is a really scummy, like, piece of shit, um, sex trafficking, drug, like, drug kingpin of a Hollywood producer. And they, over the course of three episodes, 
con him out of basically all his money. Um, the second of target targets they have is a is a um is a duo, two brothers, two um two former Saudi Arabian princes who were disowned, but now run this massive like air race fixing scheme. Like they own the air race, they fix it so they also win all the money. Um in Singapore. Con that guy con those guys out of all their money. Um and then the last person they um con is this really shitty like is this like really just awful fucking person of a art appraiser and food critic a, a guy who a guy who uses his stand his like standing in society as a cudgel against others and he's from London, he's British and they con him out of his money. And with each arc, with, with each target they have, there's a accompanying arc. So the first arc is kind of, is not really an introduction, it's an introduction to how big team confidence really is. Because and a kind of like Edamora put writing in that Edamora's mouth writing a, a check his ass can't cash and realizing it at the end when he sees the sheer size and magnitude of amount of people who are involved in taking every last penny away from this really just like sleazy fucking um like Hollywood producer who basically promises women um, deal drugs. That uh, deal drugs and is part of a, and is like the head of a crime family. But deals drugs. That's the only thing. He deals drugs. But he also sex traffics young women by promising them um, stardom as a Hollywood producer, and then literally grooming them upside down and backwards. And they very, but and they very very rarely make. Um, they very, very rarely are in, get any parts or in anything, but he uses them as, like, pawns, as sexual pawns to, like, achieve his goals. And it's just, like, he's, he's just a pig. He's just a pig. He's just, like, what if Harvey Weinstein was also a drug dealer kind of pig? Um, and, like, like, Los Angeles mixed with a little bit of Los Angeles mobster. And that arc is really about Edamora discovering how big the the game is, so to speak. Because at the end, he thinks that, you know, this one big FBI agent was, like, a heavy hitter. She was on Team... She was part of Team Confidence. All of those FBI agents were also on Team Confidence. And... Like, all this stuff happens, and he's like, oh my god. I stepped in the middle of an absolute stage production. Fuck. And that's how um, Laurent reels him in as a kind of protege, 
and then he just kind of, then the air raid thing happens and that becomes and that becomes the first proper character backstory arc and that's Abby's character backstory and all the way you're getting little bits and pieces of um Edamora's life and you see how this like 26 year old kid fell into a life of needing to con people to live and not really having any way out of that and through the fault of basically his father but I think even though it doesn't do the like it doesn't always do the extended family thing well it really does the like story about con men well the, the big problem with the show if I had to say there was a big problem with it is the character of Laurent is like this perfect brick wall and you don't you don't get to hear or see anything beyond it. He he is and this is an archetype in anime, especially anime that's like crime oriented. Nobody ever asks any questions of him. Nobody ever asks any um Nobody ever, he never fails in a meaningful way at any of his, at any of his goals. Um, and the thing about, the thing, the reason why the character of Danny Ocean, and I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say he's kind of the Danny Ocean stand-in, and if, if Studio Wit made this thing without seeing, um, Ocean's, any of the Ocean's movie, uh, it would somewhat make sense, but it, I would be stunned because it is it, it has that thing going for it. It has the like slightly like really rhythmic um soundtrack. It has the, it has all the traits of that kind of of that kind of movie in a TV show and. But the thing is that with George Clooney's character in Danny Ocean, in in the Ocean films, he... You get just enough of little personal touches, and you get... They make sure that some, that while... Everything does go his way, because that's part of the thrill of seeing these things, seeing... Bad, it's seeing bad people totally manipulate the system in a way that you would love to manipulate the system, and sometimes you can, but not to this degree. Like, um, in the Oceans movie, they use all the systems of whatever, of whoever the con, that whoever the conning has at their disposal, they use all the little weaknesses to get what they want out of that scenario. So, um, in the first Ocean movie, there's a scene where they, like, follow a... They follow a... Um... They follow a security... Um, Rusty, um, Brad Pitt's character, who is hilariously eating in every single scene of the movie. <laughs> of that particular movie. But he gained like twenty pounds. Apparently, it's very funny. But 
he follow he like has all these tabs in the like kind of seedy underbelly of Las Vegas, and he finds out that one of the security guards at the um at the hotel and casino that they're trying to rip off frequents this strip club, and he knows a stripper there, and he said like, "Hey, Candy, could you could you like liberate him of his security badge while he's drunk and horny?" She's like, "Absolutely, that'll be like two hundred dollars." gives it to her, gets the badge, goes on his way. And but all the thing that also happens is there's always a kink in the plan. There's always an accounting for a kink and somebody has to compensate for that on the spot. And the thing about um Laurent is it doesn't seem like he's compensating for anything on the spot. It seems like, he's planned for every eventuality. Like, he's planned for the fact that Edamora will have a conscience and will slightly fuck up. But he's planned for it, so it's fine. And that means that you don't... That that slight peccadillo doesn't give you an opportunity to see the interior of that character at all. There's a scene in Ocean's Eleven where... Danny sits down at the same table as his ex-wife, and you like, it's a who's the um current girlfriend of the casino owner, and it is a thing, it is a plot point where um Julia Roberts, Danny Ocean's ex-wife, has to make like a life choice of like, am I gonna support my like shitbag con artist of an ex-husband, or am I gonna support my shitbag? really douchey casino owner of a boyfriend and she decided to support Danny Ocean. <laughs> and, but it creates this, it creates this immediate failure point that is so, that like, just has to exist. There's no, there's no patching it, there's no fixing it, there's no anything. And that happens in every single Ocean's movie also happens in um, The Italian Job, which is another great heist movie. Um, it, let, it, gives you, it gives you a chance to see these characters under pressure and behave slightly differently and all that fun jazz. And that just... The characters in The Great Pretender behave as expected. So you get Laron who's accounted for everything. He does exactly how all the pieces on the board will move, even before they do. And that creates this character who is fun to watch at times, but also very, very like, seems cold and indifferent to everyone in the world. In a way that he's clearly not, but he comes across as that because... The, the script of the writing for his character doesn't give him an opportunity to show any kind of weak, to show any kind of real weakness. There is a slight moment in the second like arc where you see a gold ring on a chain around his neck, and it's clear it's focused on as a clear visual storytelling piece because. Laurent, why he is French, is just this like tall, super good-looking blonde guy. He he, he 
he can be plugged into all kinds of situations and very clearly has the ability to act as anything. So to wear the super personal identifying piece of jewelry that clearly has a re uh, that but by virtue of the fact that it is a ring for your finger hung on a neck hung on a chain around your neck has a emotional significance to him in some way um and then you get the and then you get a kind of cowboy bebop crew almost which is kind of great you get um Cynthia who is uh who is you led to believe the richest member who is one of the richest members of team confidence and she is her, she has a private island that serves as a base of operations for all of their plans. And where and it's where they all meet up once they're done with their plans and have a big money party, which is the best. And then you have um, Edamora, who is the, like, Matt Damon, like, junior upstart, confident con artist kid. And then you have Abby, and I've mentioned Abby before because the um, Singapore air race thing is her arc. And Abby is... She's like this interesting blend of both Edward Elric and um, what's-her-face from... And Tuesday from Carol and Tuesday. Or, um, um, Carol from Carol and Tuesday. Sorry, got them mixed up. Um, in that she has this, it, it's very clear that something has happened to Abby that no one is talking about. And it is also very clear that Abby is a brown person. <laughs> she is, um, dark skinned, and that's because she's actually Iraqi. And the I'm gonna spoil this because I think it's important because it, I'll get to why in a second. You find out that Abby was a happy kid in Iraq before Iraq got attacked by the U.S. and her parents died in the war in in one of the bombing raids, and it she became a child soldier, and that's why she can kick ass and take names. But the other reason why she can kick ass and take names is because she's basically searching for a reason to die, for, for a way to die. She's trying to get herself got. And it, the result is this, like, pissed-off depression of a character who does who just is just there to, like, make a paycheck and get by, but also in no way want to actually super slot into society. And what's interesting is there, but she knows, she knows how to, she knows how to, when there is no, when there's no emotional attachment to the situation she's in, she knows how to slot herself into that situation permanently. When you first see her, the like famous clip that floats around the internet is actually her, like, totally tweaked out on some like upper 
running around a pool area and like jumping in the pool and going absolutely batshit insane. Um, like she did like nine million pounds of crack. Um, but once there's an emotion, any kind of emotional involvement from her, it she has a harder time being not herself, which is like a depressed and pissed at the fact that she's still alive person in the world. And there's the much more rigid storytelling structure to the great pretender to to the great pretender than I think it needs. And I think it might be a little bit better if they let that stuff bleed into each other much, much more. Because by the second arc, by the second arc, by the end of the second arc, you are caught up with Edamora's, um, with Edamora's backstory. And they use that to kind of like, they sprinkle that in across the first um, across about the first, well, oh, of course, the first, like, six episodes. And then the last arc focuses on Cynthia, and you're, like, it's very clear that you're going to find out about Cynthia as you go through the fourth arc. And if... I would have liked if there were touchstones for all of the characters all the way through and you came across these other characters that like the characters that either were direct actored in or trigger these characters like emotional like extreme emotions because it it would have evened out the story a lot more because you already have this very You have this, in the way that, I know this is going to be weird, a weird way to attack this, in the way that the best episode of Ghost in the Shell 2045 is, uh, is Bato basically defrauding this shitty banker um, with massive amounts of money and cryptocurrency. Um, these... The Great Pretender is at its best when it's in the middle of the con and you know what's going on and you can start to see the wheels work, but you can't quite get there. And then all of a sudden you see exactly what they did. And then at the end you see exactly what they did to relieve like the shitty Saudi Arabian prince of all of their, of all of their money or to relieve this like absolutely appalling um, sleeve bag Hollywood producer drug dealer to like pay them pay off the who he thinks is an FBI agent to get rid of footage and it it is I just I want more out of the I want more out of the characters, and I would like there to be more characters 
Bork Blord instead of just four because you at the end of the first arc, at the end of the um like Hollywood producer guy arc, you see all these different characters and they do come back to those characters. Those characters do play there's a there's a small Japanese dude, like a small older Japanese dude, who very clearly is like feels like an Eddie Izzard stand in. Like he's the Eddie Izzard character of from uh, like the Eddie the Eddie Izzard character from Oceans from the Oceans movies stand in for the Great Pretender. There's also this older there's also this older woman who is great and like give me a little bit of something about them. That way, if you focus in on them a little bit, you'll be able to spread across the main story storylines, all these little nuggets, the way they kind of did with Edamora until a point. And it feels a lot more personal. You get to know the characters a lot more because um, Laron is, like I said, a brick wall, but it, it functions because he's clearly the leader of the, the lead, the guy leading the charge at all times. But there's no reason that Cynthia has to feel like a brick wall until her turn. There's no reason that um, they couldn't have given you little glimpses into Abby's past all the way through to give you an idea of why, why she's constantly so fucked up. And if I was going to fix anything with Great Pretenders, which I want to be clear, I think it's a great time. I think it's a great show. I would, but the, I would balance it out more in that way because, and I would throw some of, way more of like Laurent's backstory into it because you, that ring is so, stands out so much and it is so supposed to be a moment in that show where you, where you see that ring and you recognize that's important. I should remember that. That if that if that was the reward instead of the that if that was in some way a, a partial payoff and leading into the next part of his backstory instead of just the start of his backstory, I, I think the the show would have a lot more weight because right now it's a really fun, cool con man story but it could have but it could have had more weight if you sprinkled the backstory stuff all the way through the run and that might mean it needs to like extend to a couple more episodes which is fine because one of the things that streaming the streaming media has done to us is as and not done to us as consumers but done to um, the people creating media, it creates expectations. So, like, um, a perfect example of this is when something feels like it was crammed into eight episodes, when it could have been 12 and had more room to breathe. That's true of not only things like Game of Thrones, which was very clearly crammed into a space where it wanted more space to, like, roam and develop and be its own thing, at the very end, and ended terribly, honestly. Um, 
but if stuff is given more room to breathe, that means you have more time to fill, and that means you can play around with the structure of backstories and the structure and story structure and narrative structure in a way that it's not that's not possible to do when you have about I think it's the show is thirteen episodes. If that was bumped to twenty four or or even even bumped to twenty or even bumped to fifteen. Let's say let's say bumped to fifteen. You have two more episodes to play with. You can get into Laurent's story and you can have a more cohesive feel of him by the end of the show at the end of the show where it feels like the where it already feels like they're going and not have to play the game that of all things My Hero Academia plays which is My Hero Academia does the way they structure their shonen storytelling for TV is they do a like a whole arc in a season. But they bookend that arc with a OVA with with two OVA with two um OVAs or original video animations. Like stuff that is just that written for the anime, not as part of the manga. And while those episodes are interesting, it creates it's it's a storytelling device to create clean cutoffs as a start and end of each season so you don't so you have a actual space in it to like reintroduce all the characters be all this stuff be um be with the character for an episode like kind of settle in and then they can get into the arc it's very clear to me that this is that's kind of what they're trying to do by encapsulating the backstory the backstory elements in each little arc, in each little three episode arc of this show but if they didn't do that and they just let it flow if they added two more episodes they could get into that stuff or they could get all the backstories out of the way and then they, the next season, they could go hog wild and do something that feels a lot more like an Ocean's con artist long con, where the entire season is devoted to one big fucking for all for all the marbles con, and I, like I said, con. I have a lot of feelings about con artists in media because I love the Ocean's movies. I have since I saw the I saw Ocean's Eleven, the um, the George Clooney one when it first came out, makes me genuinely sad that Bernie Mac has died because we won't get any more of that cast of characters, and. I also really loved Ocean's 8, to be clear. Ocean's 8, I think, was so much of the good of the old, of the, like, Danny Ocean's era of Ocean's, of the Ocean's movies kind of mixed with 
modern sensibilities of like, what does it look like if it's an all if it's all female con artists? If it's an entire fe- entirely female cast, how does that function? And it's just it's really good, <laughs> but I want some of that in the. I want some of that DNA. I want more of that DNA in something like um, The Great Pretender. Not because I want everything to be like Ocean's Eleven. I do not want that. But because I think more of that stuff would help Great Pretender be even better than it is right now. And let me be clear. It's really good. If you have Netflix, you should go give Great Pretender a a try. If you like kind of like Underworld anime or, um, which I've talked about before on this podcast, or, like, anime about people with a criminal element of some sort, this is a great watch. But just know going in that if you're, like, Laurent's really distant, like, really holding everybody at, like, arm's length, he's, like, char- he's like charismatic, and you don't get, but you don't get the sense that anybody knows him that anybody truly knows him except for him and he's not about to share that information and i i just want i want a little bit of a peek in a little bit of a window in side to that character because he's just a little bit too too opaque he i think i've finally gotten what i want to say how i want to put it is he is the idea of the idealized con man con artist not the um reality but without the like humanizing moments so um i think it's i think it's ocean 12 where they have this fucking incredible scene where Brad Pitt needs to talk to um, George Clooney about like a section of the plan, and goes over, knocks on his door. Brad Pitt opens. Um, George Clooney opens up, and he goes, "Are you are you crying? It's do I smell wine and cheese? Is that is that Oprah?" And they sit down, and like <laughs> the next scene, and this is a very short sequence of like two short scenes, is both of them sitting drinking wine in like in Europe somewhere, sitting with wine and cheese, watching Oprah. Like it's really, it's really great. I mean, all the all the kids get. All the kids get treatment. Yeah, all the kids get treatment and great school supplies. <laughs> It's this, like, great, it's this great grounding moment for those two characters who are the most opaque duo in, kind of, of all the Connors I've ever seen, which is amazing to me. One of the, one of the very early scenes in Ocean's Eleven is this scene where they go see their, this character named Ruben, and he gives, he says this thing that I used to parrot to my friend, to a friend of mine in school. And like, we used to say this all the time to each other, me and a, actually a female friend of mine in like high school and middle school. We used to say this thing and it went, 
I just want you to know. I haven't forgot about the thing with the guy in the place. I'll never forget it, and I owe you. And, like, that's all, that's never explained. That's never explained. Ever. It's, like, said in a way that's super specific to the people who know what they're talking about, but also in case there's any bugs in the in the pool house, no one else can know. And... The, but the addition of scenes like Danny and like Danny and Rusty watching Oprah together late at night, completely apropos of nothing, gives them this humanizing element. And Laurent hasn't had that. And it 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 re it's what that means is it ends up reading more as a power fantasy in kind of the same way. Almost not certainly not as bad as Kirito reads the power fantasy, but with more finesse and more understanding of why Kirito is a problem. Laurent never feels like a problem. He just feels like it would be more interesting if he fucked up or there was a re- more real human moments like that ring on his neck as a necklace. Because you'd get into that character in the same way the show takes you into all three of the other main cast members. So, you know, like I said, go check out Great Pretender on Netflix. Um, it'll almost certainly get a second season because that's how, that's how Netflix works. I've said it before, I'll say it again. That's how Netflix works. And uh, if you like any kind of, like, underworld anime, crime anime, that kind of stuff, you'll probably have fun with the show. Or if you've never watched one of those kinds of things, it's a great place to jump on. It's got amazing production values and really good music. So, um, on that note, I have been Alex. You've been listening to Lunchbox Radio. If you like this show, please share it with a friend. That's the People say, like, Five-star ratings are the best thing you can do for a show, and that is true. If you could go to iTunes and give me a five-star rating, that would be... You'd be a five-star man. But um, sharing the show with friends really helps, like, broaden listener base and all that stuff. And thank you so much for listening. Until Sunday, I've been Alex, and you've been listening to Lunchbox Radio. I'll talk to you on Sunday.